Everybody to an abbreviated episode of the Total Soccer Show. We are fully into our Women's World Cup previews, but still wanted to talk about the USA's shootout win over Canada in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup. The USA advances to the semifinals against Panama on Wednesday, while Canada head home, mostly so that John Herdman can finally charge that one AirPod he's been using. With me to talk about <laughs> the game, and I'm assuming mostly about Matt Turner's shootout heroics, is the legend himself, always willing to sub in when a referee takes a clearance to the face. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Yeah, so that was me. I know it didn't look like me, but I was down yep. on the sidelines. They gave me all of the 10 minutes of heads up that we had in that little stoppage. Mm -hmm. I made it to Cincinnati just in time, put on my yellow shirt and, and got through the evening. It was, Taylor, this is like <laughs> one of the, the most bizarre games I've ever seen. Yeah. Legitimately, one of the longest games I've certainly ever watched. The fact Dude. that we had that long stoppage and then there were like four other VAR pauses and it just kept going on and on. But it was also kind of fun, mostly just because the U.S. won. Uh, that's that's kind of all. Yep. Yeah. No arguments there. I will say, first of all, uh, that this is going to be an abbreviated episode because we are recording Group D, our preview of Group D in the Women's World Cup later today. So we're only going to kind of run through this one in an abbreviated fashion because it's also one that I think neither one of us feels like is overly critical uh, to sure. the future of the U.S. M&T, but... Perhaps it will be. I will say this up front. This game annoyed me uh, for the reasons that you've uh, already kind of laid out there, Joe. I thought, oh, cool. 7.30 p.m. kickoff. We aren't recording until tomorrow. <laughs> Early night for me. And then I realized I'd been fooled. Kickoff closer to 8.10 p.m. As you said, we have the injury delay, multiple VARs, extra time penalties. I think I turned off the television around 11.15. Joe, I'm starting from a this game annoyed me position. Can you make things marginally more positive? Um, I can make things more positive for me because I am in Mountain Standard <laughs> Time, and so I had three hours more there of leeway go. than you there did, you so that go. was a help to begin with. And Taylor, legitimately, I, I, I don't think this way about myself very often, but I was thinking earlier today, I'm not sure I've ever been as right about anything as I have been about Matt Turner. Like, that's the, <laughs> that's the one take that I am truly proud of in my TSS <laughs> career. I mean, Matt Turner was immense, right? I don't think there were a lot of other... Super positive performances. Brandon Vasquez, you know, gets that that late goal that was supposed to be the winner before Miles Robinson decided to test the VAR's limits later on uh, in that second half. But I mean, Vasquez scores the goal, but then he misses the penalty, and so maybe that evens out a little bit. I don't know. But Matt Turner was like uniformly awesome in this game, coming up huge in the penalty shootout. He continues to be a fantastic shot stopper for the U.S. men's national team. You know, if nothing else, and, and there were yeah. other bits and pieces to be positive about, and we'll get to that stuff. But man, if nothing else, seeing Matt Turner put on a show in goal was just plain fun. It's an interesting point to start off with, Joe, because I think around the time that you were advocating for Matt Turner, I was sort of like in the camp of, I think that's 50% sincerity and 50% hype and a little bit of maybe joke on top. I feel sure. like that's where Doyle was of like Matt Turner is the best goalkeeper in the world. Right. Uh, and then we have sort of rounded into maybe Matt Turner is the best goalkeeper in the world, such that now if he were to stay at Man City this season, Zach Steffen, and and like became the starter, like let's say Adarison went down injured and somehow Steffen became the starter, played the whole season, 
won the Premier League, won the Champions League, I feel like I'd still be like, yeah, but Matt Turner's made a lot of penalty saves and looked really good for the U.S. <laughs> like, it is wild how far and away the number yeah. one Matt Turner is at yeah. this point. Yeah, it's, it's been totally locked up. I like that idea of, of Zach Steffen or Ethan Horvath, whoever, right, mm-hmm. going to do these incredible things. Matt Turner could be sipping margaritas, like, for all I care, and he pops <laughs> up on a U.S. jersey at a B-tier tournament like this, yeah. and, and we are 100% back. But that's, like, that's Matt Turner. It's, mm-hmm. it's impressive because... He hasn't been the guy at Arsenal, right? And, and we know this well, and listeners know, it, know that at this point. He's the number two there, and he will be the number two there again this season, which is part of why it's so great to see him getting these looks for the U.S., because he's clearly still staying sharp. You know, maybe he's not, you know, maybe he wasn't with Arsenal this past year at his peak. You know, I think maybe a couple of seasons in with the Revs is really where he hit his, holy crap, this guy is super good stride, and we should be getting him looks with the national team, even if he's not quite at that level. He's just so far clear of everybody else right now in the pool. He can win you games. And and even though this game against Canada, I don't want to say it didn't matter because I am a, a pretty firm believer that anytime you have a chance to continue dominating this region, like you have to apply resources for it. But I mean, Taylor, U.S. soccer kind of set the tone from the roster release, right? The fact mm-hmm. that there's no Greg Baralta, even though he is the manager. So it's B.J. Callahan on the sidelines. It's not a top choice group of players. Like they, they set the expectations, which is not necessarily that we're going to go and run over everybody in this competition. But man, getting a win over Canada in a knockout game, getting to look at some of these players again, like all these things are positives. And Matt Turner was probably the biggest positive of the night. And if we're seeing Canada as a new rival, not the new rival, but one of the rivals in CONCACAF now with them topping World Cup qualifying, with them seemingly becoming a bigger player in CONCACAF, a bigger power as well, Uh, then this game, if it isn't like a dominant storyline from here on out, I think it will be part of the tapestry of that rivalry because like the, the shootout before the shootout, if people didn't see it, both teams are 10 yards ahead of where they're supposed to be. And there is a very childish, but very entertaining, no, you move, no, you move back and forth. You can see Jonathan Osorio facing the U.S. team and saying, like, we'll move when you move. We'll move when you move. And just such a strange approach of, like, chicken to penalties to start the shootout w- w- was fascinating. It did seem like there was a lot of bad blood. Uh, there's a, a, a sort of scuffle at halftime that bleeds into the tunnel uh, and maybe some words exchanged at full time as well. Uh, Stephen Vittoria seems to be always involved in, in, in the uh, in the trash talking and getting involved with people. He scores the uh, the equalizing penalty in regulation, then has his penalty saved by Matt Turner, where he goes pretty much the same spot, and Turner stays central and makes the save. And I will say, doesn't fully stay central, does sort of hop to the left and then has the strong right paw to deny. And it was a very, very nice moment for Matt Turner, very nice for the U.S. And I think it will be part of the expanding rivalry between the USA and Canada. So that is another positive, I think, in my takeaways from this game. Joe, we can maybe avoid a larger, bigger tactical conversation other than to say that, from my perspective, this was... The U.S. looking about as sloppy and maybe timid as we've seen in this tournament and maybe under B.J. Callahan, they looked slow to move the ball. I felt like there were times when there was a wide open player, but it was difficult to spot right away and maybe a little more experience, maybe a few more veterans in this team and that ball gets played and maybe we get more goals. My overall feeling from this game was that it was the United States basically being put into a knockout game and you could see the pressure and that they were able to overcome is is definitely a positive for me. I think there were individual performers that raised my estimations, a few individual performers. For the most part, I thought this was a, a sort of meh, 
performance from the United States, but I wouldn't say we learn much about who's going to run the show or who's the the tactical genius coming out of this one. No, I don't think so. And, and that's been one of the bigger themes for me for this tournament. I'm working on an yep. article now for Backfield about like who was who really impressed. If, if mm-hmm. we can all agree that this Gold Cup, the purpose of this Gold Cup is to identify players to help the first team win, right? And I, I don't think you... I don't think anybody could argue with that idea. If we can agree with that, then what we should be looking for out of games like this, outside of the rivalry stuff and the regional dominance, which I, I do think is still like the undercurrent here, and I love that you brought up some of these these rivalry instances that we saw in this game. There's clearly some fight and some bad blood, and I, I like that, right? It makes these games more entertaining. It makes them more enjoyable. But the, the major thing here for this tournament is who's good enough to help the first-choice team win at the Copa America and, and to win at the 2026 World Cup. And the reality is, it, it hasn't been a super long list. No. I, bef- before I go all the way negative, <laughs> I have to. The, I have three. Okay, good. I, I want to ask. I was just about to ask you. Yeah. Who Who is on your list of? Mm. Okay, we saw something from this player. There's maybe something here, even when the top yeah. top guys are in camp. I would say the list was longer before this game, and I think I did buy into a little bit of some of the destruction of some of the uh, the weaker teams in the group stage, and I think there were some good performers against uh, Jamaica in the opener. But last night, some players that I was a bit stock up on, like, say, Jalen Neal or Brian Reynolds, I think we saw the limitations of their game. We saw some of their youth, some of their just lack of discipline. I could see why Jose Mourinho isn't the biggest fan of Reynolds at this point. Uh, but that's more negative. Staying in the positive, I think Matt Turner, I mean, has has fully cemented his role and, and the Gold Cup is part of that. So I would put him in that category. I would put Dewan James in, Jones in there, not Dewan James, Dewan Jones in there uh, as a like deputy third on the list of potential left backs, maybe fourth, depending on if Sergio Dest is playing on the right side or the left side. Uh, but the the ball on his weaker foot in for it's Vasquez, it's yeah. an incredible ball. It's a perfect ball. I thought he had attacking intent. I thought he made some really smart little darting runs. I felt like he was a player who was largely doing his defensive job, but then also trying to facilitate attack and play and, and doing so in a, in a somewhat electric way. So I, I, I've liked what I've seen from Dewan Jones, not Dewan James, uh, Matt Turner. And then James Sands, I think there's a lot still to develop about his game, and I think he has a ways to go before he really is in the conversation for even maybe a deputy role with the senior national team. But thus far, I feel like he has been reliable as that the kind of deepest midfielder. Uh, I don't know if that means he could do the number six job. I don't think he has the mobility to just be that sole pivot and move around the way Tyler Adams or, or Eunice Musa have shown they can. But I still think he he brings enough poise on the ball that you'll see him hit big switches, uh, but he'll also play safe passes. He'll also recycle possession, maybe too much so for some of Fox's commentators, but I still felt like he was good enough in possession and then good on the defensive side and gets into scraps and rides challenges and puts in challenges of his own, doesn't really take the bait when when prompted. And so I thought it was another like reliable, decent performance from James Sands that had him uh, stock up for me as well. Yeah, James Sands, I agree with pretty much everything you just said about him. It felt like this was a pretty classic James Sands performance. Like, he he was solid, but not spectacular. And that is kind of the James Sands brand, is he's yep. okay yep. on the ball, and, and there was yep. real improvement from you know, his first steps with NYCFC to... You know, maybe the 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 twenty twenty one season, uh, which you know was the last time he was involved with the U.S. Really, that was the last Gold Cup where he was a regular starter for that team as well. And then they, as they went to win the, the the trophy in that particular competition, 
Like James Sands can do a little bit with the ball, but he will leave a couple of passes short or, or take a couple of touches that you don't love. There was one of those in the 35th minute where he leaves one a little bit short. But just a few minutes before that, he played a nice little line-breaking pass in the 30th minute. And so you get that kind of mixed bag, but usually what accompanies it is pretty steady defending and, and arriving in good spots, reading the game well. That's been Sands' brand for years now, and I think we saw some of that last night against... You know, one of the top two teams the U.S. has played so far in this competition. I like Sands, and I hope we see more of him, and I hope we see even better from him over the next two games. His spot, like, his spot isn't locked up by any stretch of the imagination with the full national team because, not least because Yunus Musa looked promising at the number six spot, and, and I would rather give Musa more of those minutes and test another eight next to Weston McKenney or Giorena next to Weston McKenney, obviously, than, than really give Sands another look with the full group, but... You never know what's going to happen over these next two games. Taylor, I, I agree with your list for the most part. Dewan Jones, I like. I'm not sure I'm in, in love with him still. Yeah. Um, like he He's a fine option. I'm just not sure that any of the left backs at this tournament have really pushed a whole lot more. John Tolkien, I thought, would get more minutes than he has, but he, he hasn't been a big part of this team since that first game against Jamaica. So we'll see what happens there. The only player, really the only players that you didn't mention that I thought had generally good performances uh, Jesus Ferreira, when he wasn't playing as a central midfielder, I thought was good. I don't think he was fantastic, but I thought he was good. And uh, Brandon Vasquez, I thought, was mm. was good coming off the bench. He That's continues great. to find good goal-scoring spots. It's a lovely finish off of that ball from Dewan Jones. Again, missed the penalty, which is a ding, but I, I, I value that open play scoring more than I would that one individual moment. Both of those players, Ferreira and Vasquez, I think are, are making the argument that they should still be around in these yeah. number nine depth discussions going forward. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the Vasquez penalty miss was a very good representation for me of what this Gold Cup has been, which is even if you are a player who comes in and makes something happen, has an impact, makes me think like, okay, you are really good. There are still the rough edges that have to be sanded out. And he scores that goal in front of uh, his his home club crowd that everybody is up for it. It's a great moment. And then he skies that penalty. And that happens. That happens to the best players in the world and the worst players in the world. But for me, it was just a moment of like, you're not quite there. Like the the rock solid lights out uh, player who's going to make that jump to Europe and continue to score. I feel like comes in and scores that goal. Then he scores his penalty ice in the veins. He's a number nine that we know you can put in front of goal, at least in a penalty situation, and he's going to take it. So I feel like failing to take that penalty shootouts are hard, but that is maybe the, the reason why I don't have him immediately on that list. But when he comes in and has an impact and scores goals off the bench, uh, I think you have to kind of continue to have him in that number nine conversation. And I am just fine with that. One player I wanted to ask you about, Joe, because you were, I would say, very negative on him coming into this tournament, mostly from a like almost incredulous. Why is he here? Standpoint ah, would be I know who we're talking about. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Who is now uh, starting for this team uh, in, in the midfield, a regular starter for this team. And I feel like similar to what I was just saying with Brandon Vasquez has moments where he looks excellent and has moments where he scuffs a shot 30 yards wide when he's wide open in the box. Yeah. I, I thought Busio was mixed in this game. You know, one area that did impress me, some of his service from dead balls, I think generally tends to be good. And that's been true for a while. Like, we, we saw Busio at the 2021 Gold Cup. It feels like deja vu for a lot of these guys. And MLS, that was a, a big part of, of where he could add value. So dead ball service, I think, has, has been generally positive. And then I do like what he brings as, like, a, a box arriver in the final third. You know, when the play is developing around him and he has a chance to go and find space in the box, it felt to me like in this game 
he was popping up inside the 18 and not always putting shots on frame, but at least adding little bits and pieces of danger. And the execution wasn't quite there in those moments. But I, I like some of that stuff. So there's the positive. And I, I'm not sure if this is going to be a compliment sandwich. It might just be like, well, yeah. I don't even know what you call that. I think it's a Ned Stark butt. Never trust anything <laughs> yeah. that comes before the butt. There it so is. So go ahead, Joe. We go. Now, now deliver your scathing indictment. Go ahead. But he, he's just not reliable enough in, in the midfield itself. Like in open play, the, the first note that I have on, in, have on him in this game is in the 18th minute doesn't check his shoulder to see where Brian Reynolds is, and he just hits the ball to where he thinks Brian Reynolds is, and, and maybe that's where Brian Reynolds should have been, but regardless, it's Gianluca Busio's job to like know Dude, what's going on as a midfielder. To emphasize your point, this goes back to when I was like 13, but I remember like making a really good run down the sideline and then crossing it to the box for no one to be there and then right. screaming at my teammates, who's there? And my coach immediately <laughs> screaming at me, if you're asking who's there, you shouldn't have crossed the ball. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you can do all the right things and you can have the best intentions. Sure. But if you're nailing a ball into a space where there are no players, whether or not they were supposed to be there, they weren't there. So yeah. you've got to be able to check down and look at other options. Yeah, and I would give more credit to 13-year-old Taylor than I would to <laughs> however old Gianluca Buzio is. I feel like in the final third... He might third, also be 13 at this it's, point. It is possible. 21, yeah. the internet tells me, 21. Like, it's more defensible to hit a really low... I don't, maybe your cross is terrible. I don't know what it was. I, I've seen you play Probably. soccer. I bet it was decent. Like, you get in the final third and you hit a ball, you're expecting a runner to arrive as the play develops. Fair. For Busio, it's like, Thanks, Joe. you're just Thanks, in build-up. Yeah, just trying, to, just trying to give you a little something to hang I on to. It. So, I, I don't know. There's just too many of those moments. I, mm -hmm. I don't think he brings a lot of control in the counter-press or, like, really defensively. And and he still did better than Jesus Ferreira when Ferreira went back to play that right side <laughs> center midfield role. Like, yeah. Jacob Schaffelberg's goal, he can send a little thank you to, to Jesus Ferreira for not... Defending at all in that moment? Yep. I, I mean, Ferreira's not an eight, so it, it kind of is what it is. But Boosie, I'm, I'm just not. I'm just not there on Taylor. I'm just not. Yeah. I actually, uh, that's fair. I, I do think Busio hits the best penalty of any penalty taker. Yeah, he put that in a good the penalty. Top, top corner. That was lovely. I think a reason why I am more down on Jesus Ferreira after this performance is that go-ahead goal for Canada. It's uh, so bad. It takes so a deflection. Bad. It definitely deflects off Matt Miazga, it, but it's still the good hit. But it is, if that is a meaningful game, if that's a World Cup qualifier, if that's a friendly, whatever it is, and a player pulled out of that tackle... I mean, Twitter would melt down more than it's already melting down if it can melt down because I'm not sure how functional it is even at this point <laughs> if it's functional enough to melt down. But still, Twitter would be mad, Reddit would be mad, we would be mad because it's just a, it's a it's a full nah, not really my problem. It's a it's a pickup soccer defensive like ah whatever it's fine if they score we'll get one back and I guess the U.S. did so maybe Jesus Ferreira is just clairvoyant but that was a. A very telling moment for me of like, yes, he's playing a different position. He's been moved around. He's played the whole game. He is probably tired, but you still got to go for something. You still got to go for the foul or whatever it may be. Uh, and that he doesn't, that is a pretty negative mark in my book. It is. Weirdly with Ferreira, one of the things that I think has always been underrated about his game is his willingness to press. Like he, he presses very, very well. And we've talked about that on this show, dropping back as a number 10 to allow the wingers to push forward in more of a 4-4-2 diamond press or funneling play around as a number nine leading that line. He does he does a good job of that. I guess it just speaks to how different it is yeah. defending as a number eight, like one of those free eights in a 4-3-3, versus defending in the front line. You're going to end up in a lot more duels. You're going to have to to really be the one stepping into the challenge rather than maybe like tracking someone down and, and responding to them. It's a little bit different. I, I don't know how much to ding Ferreira for that. Like Realistically, is he ever going to be in that situation again? I, I don't 
no, maybe, and, and maybe this becomes more of a problem. Hey, Wade Rooney I'm, was in that situation. He won the tackle and then he played true. an assist. Come on, man. A legendary MLS moment from the uh, MLS All-Star manager that we all know and love. Like, I, I, I will ding Ferreira for that if yeah. we see a consistent lack of defensive effort. Fair. Uh, and maybe if the result's different here, I'm, I'm talking about this in a slightly different way, but that's more of a wait and see, like a little mm-hmm. flag, I guess, in my mind than anything else. That's fair. I will also, uh, to add a positive, uh, one of the things that I did not like about Jesus Ferreira early on, uh, I did feel like he was willing to press. I did feel like he was willing to run and had a, a, a good amount of energy. Uh, but I also remember him over-pursuing and getting sort of bypassed really quickly. Either it would be like a pass from the goalkeeper to the center back, he would over-pursue, and then the center back would play it back across to the other center back or back to the goalkeeper who'd play it to the other center back. And the press is sort of broken there because you're trying to cut off half the field when you do that. And I cannot remember a time he's done that in the Gold Cup. I feel like he's gotten his angles better. I feel like he's picked his moments better. Maybe the triggers are there. But uh, Jesus Freire's press, in, especially when he's trying to kind of go at the center back to the goalkeeper, has definitely gotten better, which is maybe why that one lack of intensity moment stood out to me. Uh, we've talked about a few of the positives. Cade Cowell, I think, is another one who is largely a positive for me, largely stock up. But I still think we're talking about a guy who's playing as a sub for a team that really doesn't have much winger depth. Uh, Zendejas has been straight up poor in this tournament, yet he is still starting. Maybe that is a BJ Callahan, I want to back this guy, I know he'll come good. I'm inclined to see it as there aren't enough options who can start and have the impact we want. Uh, so Kate Cowell coming on against tired defenses and just sort of going at them has been good, but I don't think it's a difference maker necessarily, and I think there are other players who can do that pretty well. But still, uh, Cowell is one that I won't mind seeing more of as we go. I don't think there's anybody I truly don't want to see again after this tournament. I think there are some veterans who maybe... This can be the the last hurrah. Maybe they'll get a January camp uh, like Aaron Long or DeAndre Yedlin, but that's not because they've been bad necessarily. It's just I feel like we've kind of at, we're at a point where we can say thank you to very faithful servants and longtime servants, but there are other players who are better. Others are ahead of them, as Jurgen Klinsmann was fond of saying. Um, but there are some people that I think I, I don't need to see until about halfway through next season or mm. to see how this season goes. Jalen Neal is one of those who I think has been fine to good until last night where I thought uh, Ben Wright writing for MLS said for the first time this tournament, he'd look like a 19 year old. I would amend that to for the first time this tournament, he looked like a teenager, uh, some passes out of bounds, gambling on his ability to make a play and then not making that play. And suddenly Canada have very threatening moments. I felt like it, this tournament has been a good sort of recognition of what he can be, but then also the work that needs to be done for him to get to that level that we yeah. hope he can reach. Yeah, we noticed Jalen Neal too much in this game. Like, that's, yes, that's exactly. the reality. Noticed in a bad way. There uh, it is. Noticed in a bad way. There are moments when you want to notice a center back, and, yep. and that's especially when they have the ball at their feet or, or maybe when they're attacking on a set piece. And Neal, I still think his upside as a line breaker is good. It's not consistent yet, but... Right foot, left foot. He had, he had a really nice left-footed line-breaking ball. I'm trying to find when it was. 56 minute to Zendejas. That was one of my highlights from this game. Like, Neil is primarily right-footed as far as I, I'm aware. And that ball with his weak foot was really, really nice. But the reality is he's, he's still a little too sloppy in those moments. Like, still not totally consistent on the ball. Has a, a sloppy back pass to Matt Turner to go out for a Canada corner kick in the 23rd minute. And then has that that whiff that you mentioned in first half stoppage time, uh, which which did go on for the length of an entire uh, TST match. So we had <laughs> we had some some ups and downs from Jalen Neal, but the reality is, I I don't think anybody. Maybe there are a few folks out there on Twitter. I don't think many folks believe that Jalen Neal should really be around the full national team right now. 
And he, he was a January Camp Colin that was made more convenient by the fact that he was an LA Galaxy player and they were training where the Galaxy play. Like that, that made sense. And I think he's a really good U20 player. But injuries to, shoot, Cameron Carter Vickers and Tim Ream, like that at least has you digging down two spots deeper in the center back depth chart for the summer than you would have otherwise needed to. Like Neil, I think, is still probably eighth or so on the center back depth chart, but I love that he's getting minutes. Like the U.S. could have lost this game. I wouldn't have really lost a lot of sleep over it, and Jalen Neal would have had a, a mediocre to bad game, and I, I still feel probably about the same about him. It's not like he's going to catapult himself into the top spot on the center back depth chart anytime soon, but he's getting chances to, to have these growing pains. He's getting chances to go up against, in this case, Lucas Cavallini and Junior Hoylet, yeah. two veteran number nines. Cavallini is a big body. Hoylet's crafty with where he finds space. Like, I'm just happy that he's getting these reps, even though like Ben's right, Taylor, you're right. He absolutely is mm-hmm. showing his inexperience and some of the roughness around the edges in some of these games. Yeah, I would, and I would say the same goes for Brian Reynolds. I would say the same goes for Alex and Dejas as well. I don't want those guys cut. I don't want them dropped. Uh, I'm not going to be furious if we see them play for the U.S. in 2023, but I think there is a lot to their game that needs to be developed. They are still strong players, Brian Reynolds especially, but last night I felt like we saw his lack of positional discipline on the defensive side, and then we saw him just be really indecisive on the ball in a way that I felt like slowed down numerous U.S. attacks. Alexi Lalas, I agree with Alexi for the first time in a long time at halftime. He was very mad about this game, and a lot of it had to do with the ball going backwards over and over again and the U.S. sort of breaking their own counterattacks to keep possession and move the ball back. And it felt like nobody wanted to be the one to make the mistake. But as a result, nobody wanted to be the one to really try to make something happen until they got within shooting distance of the goal. And then everybody wanted to be the one to do it, which meant that the United States was routinely shooting wide, shooting into traffic, uh, or just not taking chances that could have been there. And so I, I think for those players, it was not a great night. But at the same time, to your point, if they had lost this tournament and been eliminated and then we saw them again a year from now in January camp, or even if we see them in some of the friendlies later on this year, I'd still be like, all right, well, let's see what's happened. How have they changed their game since then? So I think that's a big reason why we haven't given as much coverage to this Gold Cup as we normally would for a Gold Cup if we had the senior men's team in there, if we felt like this was a team really going for it, if we felt the same of Canada and Mexico and Jamaica on the rise, I think there would be more dedicated interest from us as it is. We've got Women's World Cup preview, Joe. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Uh, two two super quick things. One, uh, you mentioned a lot of the, the passing, the rhythm being off, it being a slow tempo. I got a little distracted just imagining that you were talking about the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, mm. We will be talking more about the game that they had, I believe, against Wales. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of bad... U.S. soccer yesterday. Mm. Let's just put it that way. Um, so there's a little tease mm. for folks on that front. And... Mm. I'm doing the women's national team, the U.S. preview for the, uh, the the Women's World Cup previews that we're doing. And, yeah, I've got some stuff to say. So there's all that stuff. My last thing on this game. I'm developing Please. a theory for Zendejas and Mihailovic, who I both thought were, again, mediocre. Zendejas may be bad and Mihailovic just kind of, like, fine. Yeah, That's I'd mostly agree. been my thoughts on them in this tournament. But I'm still higher on them than a lot of the other players in this squad. My theory, Taylor, is... With Zendejas at Club America, he's got better players around him where he can be yeah. almost like this. He can be the cherry on top rather yeah. than, you know, the ice cream that's like holding up the Sunday. And kind of the same goes with Georgie where, yeah, he was doing a lot more for Montreal and MLS. But you know, there were other quality players around him. That Montreal team was straight up better relative to the competition than this U.S. team is in the Gold Cup. My thought is that maybe surrounded by better players with the full team, those players will 
better position themselves to yeah. succeed and will be in better spots. The challenge is we're still seeing their ceiling. Like this is showing that they're not good enough to carry a team on their own. And that is, that's a little yeah. concerning, especially for players that maybe aren't fully at their peak yet. We, we know now a bit more about what these players can't do. I'm still optimistic. Maybe it's blind optimism that we'll see a little no, bit more from these players in situations where they're not having to do so much. I think that is a very good note to end on. Uh, I will just add this. I, I feel less confident about that when it comes to Zendejas, but to your point about Georgie, thinking back on it for a moment, so many times in that first half, I remember him very skillfully dribbling out of pressure or avoiding a tackle or taking the ball into space and then picking his head up and just not having any passing options. Yeah. And he didn't force the cross. He didn't just kick it and scream who's there. But But I feel like that does sort of support your idea that there's only so much you can do in that moment other than then turn and try to take on six people and go to goal. I don't feel like that's what he was briefed to do. I don't think that's what he was assigned to do. So Mihailovic maybe was more anonymous in my mind, but I have a feeling if I went back and watched this one, I would see a lot more positive to him yeah. where there wasn't maybe a ton of positive around him to make a final product happen. So I guess, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better about things, uh, and we'll continue to see how things go for the U.S. As I said, they've got the semifinal against uh, Panama. Panama, thank you, on Wednesday evening, which is either at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. I don't know. Just don't trust Fox. <laughs> Joe Lowry, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about this one with me today. You got it, Taylor. This was fun. Uh, it was indeed, and now we're going to go talk about uh, Group D in the Women's World Cup in a, Haiti for a life. minute and Haiti a half. For life. Haiti for life. <laughs> Joe Lowry, talk to you soon. Listeners, talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.